and welcome to The Swear Jar, the official podcast of the Academy of Business Communications, where we tell it like it is about corporate and employee communications and use occasionally colorful language to raise money for worthy causes. My name is Elizabeth Williams. And I'm Andrew Brown. Today, we're talking about listening, which is, of course, ironic in itself. Communicators are great at talking. But in our consulting work, we see that they struggle when it comes to actually listening. So today we're going to cover what we mean when we say listening, the show organizations put on when it comes to listening, or what we affectionately refer to as listening theater, how to plan your organization's listening, seven ways that an organization can listen, and of course, what to do with all those wonderful insights gathered from your listening. Yeah, I would, I would say that listening is probably the top skill that most communicators really need to work on, except maybe for measurement, that I think they're tied. And both at the personal level in terms of active listening, which is probably a whole other podcast in itself, mm-hmm. but at the organizational level, the, the listening that has to go on all the time, and I would argue, especially now. Agreed. I mean, we're recording this in early July 2020, and that means we're living in COVID times, and organizations have been talking at their employees for about the last four months now. But from what we've seen, we've got to ask how many have really taken the time to actually listen. And sure, many have surveyed their employees, which is a type of listening, but are we really finding out what we need to know and do to move forward? Well, that's why listening is so important. It's, it's not so much about what we did or didn't do right. It's about what we need to do to help people and the organization move ahead. Listening, I think, is key to changing behaviors. It's important for understanding any shifts in the culture or perhaps lack of shift, if that's what you're after. It's really key for uncovering information gaps and by extension, getting out ahead of rumors. And certainly in in our change communications work, we see that it's essential for making sure that everyone is drinking the Kool-Aid and getting aligned. And quite honestly, it's the only way that we have as communicators to understand what people are feeling and living within our organizations. So true. So I just want to summarize your points because they are so essential for communicators, regardless of whether they're sitting in the employee communications function or HR, risk management, marketing, or even in the executive. Listening really drives three things. Engagement or energy, that is the motivation people need to get stuff done. Enablement, which is figuring out how the information people need to get stuff done. And agency, that sense that we all hope people have a sense of ownership and influence. Yeah, I think that last point about agency is a really, really big one. And I would point out that the only thing that matters more than listening is being seen to be listening. Mm -hmm. So there's this little bit of theater, listening theater involved here too. And that visibility really needs to be part of the planning when we think about what we want to be listening for. So it really makes sense to spend some time on the planning. And one of the big self-deceptions among communicators is that they are already listening. Again, well-intentioned. But after all, they're cranking out slides and updates and blogs, all sorts of communication, sitting in on endless calls and meetings. So they kind of have the voice of the employee nailed, right? But the question is, which voice? Whose voice? Like everyone else, communicators 
are really only hearing the loudest voices and even the best intention communicators in the times of stress in particular are more likely to hear those voices, opinions, pains that actually reinforce their own biases and those of those supervisors that they have to report into. So a big part of the systematically planning of good listening has to be around who is already loud and which voices are actually absent. Oh, yeah. You know what? You're so right. I used to joke in this one big company I worked in that employees' signal fell off by the square of the distance from their desk to head <laughs> office. And I would add to your excellent points that the planning needs to balance not just what we say as an organization, with what our employees need to say. For example, as we start crawling out of the COVID foxholes, organizations are asking employees to tell them, what do you want in return to workplace safety? Or tell us how great a job we did during the lockdown. But I think employees wanna talk about how stressed they felt or how anxious they may still feel. And so once we have a sense of who we need to hear and what needs to be discussed, only then can we start figuring out how to go and do that listening. Hey, listeners out there, if you stop listening to this episode right now, and by the way, don't, that last point Elizabeth made is the one I'd love for you to take away. I know it sounds trite, but effective listening, even at an organizational level, really needs to be part of a dialogue. That is, it's not just about what you want to hear, it's giving voice to what employees need to say. So yes, it's frustrating when chances to listen are undercut by a lack of good planning. Unfortunately, another big mistake in developing an effective listening strategy is the over-reliance on surveys. And you know, we love surveys and we use them all the time, but they aren't the beginning and end of listening. And they're actually pretty lousy for some goals. So they're just one of seven listening tools we like to have in our toolkit. And so why don't we start working through the different ways of listening and which ones work for different goals. So today, listening tool number one, surveys. And Elizabeth, I know you hear this a lot, employees, are done with surveys and have survey fatigue. So we don't want to do surveys. Oh, I know. I hear that all the time too. And, and I think that survey fatigue is bullshit, but I would argue that bullshit fatigue is real. Mm. And by that, I mean that people will talk all day long about what they think and feel, but when the result of that survey and that input is invariably nothing, then they become a lot less willing to engage. And so mm. the first thing that we have to remember, regardless of the listening tool, is that employees can and will eventually connect some kind of change to their comments. And surveys are, I think, great for several things, particularly for surfacing things really, really quickly. We like them for understanding top concerns, things employees like or dislike, understanding what their intentions are. Surveys are wonderfully fast and they're cheap and they're easy to do now. And getting people to fill them in is a, is a fair bit of work. And you have some issues with verifying whether people are telling you the truth or just what they think you want to hear or if they're on some kind of strange vendetta and they're using the survey to get even. You know, it's, it's really, really difficult to verify. And it's also hard to work with open comments. If you leave those open comment fields, that can be kind of difficult to muck through. 
but you know, if you can get a decent sample size and you can write good quantitative questions, mm. then surveys certainly have their place. And we usually recommend that uh, you go for a high quality random sample rather than trying to get everyone because you, you will spend all of your time and much of your sanity just badgering people into taking the survey. <laughs> You know, and, and of course, with today's technologies like intranets and mobile devices, you can even do micro surveys, those little one or two question polls that you can spread out over a, a period of time. Some people call them pulse surveys or, or these micro surveys. When you post items, you can actually see how people engage with the content. Do they share it? Do they comment on it? Do they just ignore it and trash it? Do they add to it? But we need to keep in mind that you still have to have a goal behind micro surveys too. Otherwise, they're just annoying. Mm. So our advice with surveys is, Get some help with your survey design. That's probably a good topic for a future podcast, actually. Right. But one of the things that surveys kind of suck at is the softer stuff. So understanding a lived experience or kicking around ideas, you know, that stuff is really better captured in a conversational format. Right. And that leads us to listening tool number two, interviews. And we're big fans of interviews for that kind of thing. In fact, one of the first things we do when we are consulting on a big organizational change or trying to understand an engagement issue is to conduct one-on-one -on -one interviews with several stakeholders. This really lets us tease out the fears and concerns, the lived experiences, and other very subjective issues. In essence, getting a greater sense of the organizational context. Let's just switch quickly to listening tool number three, focus groups. Um, Focus groups are also pretty good for these sorts of discussions. Plus, they're great for kicking around ideas. They're good for digging deep into what people like and what they don't like. But to be honest, it can be time consuming and it takes time to analyze as well. And they do or they should have great facilitators. And while I say facilitation, I'm gonna do a quick shout out to Michael Goldman at Facilitation First, who was a recent guest of ours and will be highlighted in an upcoming episode of the swear jar and watch for that and by all means check them out at facilitation first and by the way swear jar listeners get a special discount on his amazing workshops yeah that was a great conversation with michael and we'll put a link to that in the show notes and coincidentally actually about a week after we taped that podcast i attended a completely random webinar and there facilitating it was Michael. So I, I actually got to watch him in action and I think he picked on me. So speaking of getting picked on, let's look at listening tool number four, which is of course the team meeting. And you know, communicators often think that they are the chief listening officers, but mm. we often preach that it's frontline managers who play a really big role in both listening and being seen to be listening. And it's not just team meetings, actually, I, I would say. One of the things that, that managers should be doing is listening all the time as they have their daily interactions with their teams. And in fact, I just saw this quite disturbing stat from an IPR, just the Institute of Public Relations, and Leger did a poll very recently where they asked workers in Canada and the US how much direct contact they had with their manager on a daily basis before the COVID lockdown and during. And you know what? There was a 10% decline from 36% of workers who said they had a, a direct daily conversation with their manager down to 26% when everybody went home. And it's a little better in the States. It's down 7%. That is a really disturbing trend because one-on-ones are really a key place for these frontline managers to start listening. You know, we like that. And we like team meetings too, because they're a very safe place. They're a lot safer than a focus group, say, or a town hall. And they're a particular good 
forum in which to do that ideation and kicking around ideas. But of course, the problem is you need the manager to be a fairly decent facilitator, and they have to have a way to collect that feedback and get it back to us, which is why we say, ideally, if you are going to use the team meeting for some feedback, you know, see if you can send someone to that meeting from the comms team or HR mm -hmm. who can sit and take those notes, and that can work, and it takes the load off the manager to do that. We also like it, particularly if we want listening on a particular thing, to offer these frontline managers a little bit of a toolkit. They can help them facilitate these meetings, and then we want to make sure, of course, that we are debriefing with them as soon as we can so that we can find out what they heard. Mm -hmm. And I guess listening tool number five comes out of that because we're thinking about safe places. Another very, very safe place for employees, of course, is anonymous feedback. Just fire it in. And in fact, one of our clients uses the Slido platform. We'll put a, a link to that, the Slido platform, to collect anonymous input ahead of their town hall meetings. So, of course, the quality of the input is one way, and it's sometimes questionable because it's anonymous. And people do really weird stuff when they don't think anybody knows who <laughs> they are. You know, we would say that if you go this route, make sure you uh, limit how long you leave that gathering tool open like Slido. And one of the reasons we also like Slido is it limits the number of characters. So you don't get people mm -hmm. doing those pages-long diatribes on everything that's wrong with their chair. They tend to just focus on what it is that you need to hear. And these are really ideal, especially when you have something emotional that nobody really wants to talk about or where engagement and dysfunction is like really high and you got a lot of blaming going on. So it's good for that. And we like it when you've got a very specific question you want an answer for rather than a, hey, how's it going kind of thing. Right. You know, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned town halls, which is our listening tool number six. They sit at the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of being confidential. And we just did a great podcast on how uh, comms folks can get their town halls to suck a little less. In fact, one of the reasons they suck is how bad the feedback part is. Because usually it's 10 minutes at the end of the town hall and nobody really wants to stick up their hands and be the first to say anything. So comms folks are told to prime the pump put people into the audience or float softball questions themselves. And of course, in that town hall with inhibited participants, it's a good idea to have a good facilitator who can ask specific questions and guide that discussion. You know, it's a great way to do some listening theater for us. But once again, if the employees don't see visible action and direct follow-up, they tend to relegate it to, yes, the bullshit pile. So. Having said that, let's tap into the final listening tool that we like to use, and that's good old eavesdropping. Yep, that includes listening in on what employees and ex-employees are saying in lunchrooms, uh, Slack channels, Facebook, Glassdoor, Google. This is particularly useful because it's easy to get. It uncovers stuff that might not come up otherwise, and of course, it's scalable. It is easy to manipulate, however, particularly where the feedback is anonymous, so be aware of that. And having the right tools is important here so you can do your listening at scale. And of course, bigger clients often outsource this. I'd also point out that this activity is part of an other kind of listening that we all do, which unfortunately makes us believe we all do it well. And that's observing behavior, another one of our unfortunate communications fallacies. Observation is fraught with complexity because it can be difficult to understand the reasoning 
and emotions behind when someone, let's say, storms into room and shouts at someone, for example. But observing behavior and following up with the right questions is also part of organizational listening. Having said that, Elizabeth, I wonder, before we recap the seven listening tools, do you want to play devil's advocate and address that big whomping elephant in the podcast that, in fact, there is a downside to listening? Well, of course, the downside to listening and especially being seen to be listening is that you now create an expectation that you're going to do something with all the information you've picked up. And I would say that is probably when we propose some kind of listening is often the reason that executives and managers will push back because, and and they come up with dumb excuses, like people get too many surveys and people are too busy and we know what we're doing. And I almost always interpret that as, and also you don't really want to know what Mm. people are going to say because it will then obligate you to do something about the crappy culture or the lousy benefits or whatever it is that you don't particularly want to address. So I think that that's probably maybe another podcast is actually how to sell the idea of listening in your organization. So, okay, so let's just recap our seven techniques before we move on. So we've got uh, surveys, we've got interviews, focus groups and team meetings, anonymous gathering, town halls, eavesdropping and then with that that observational behavior and in fact we've put a handy reference sheet up on our site which you can link from the show notes that shows you the pros and cons of each of these different listening platforms so let's move on to what happens next we've done all that listening and now what do we do that's the other big question isn't it we need to make sure we are actually doing something with all that input you know you've got straight up quantitative stuff which is great. It's it's easy to analyze. And for the qualitative stuff, we recommend going through and identifying key themes. Uh, And then within each of those themes, you want to flag the prevailing sentiment. Maybe look for trends by particular stakeholder groups. See if those qualitative insights line up with the quantitative. And we often use a SWOT, you know, a strength, weakness, opportunities, and threats tool by which to help organize that. You know, it's important to map these themes to behaviors. We are always talking about communications leads to behavior. So what behaviors do we want based on this input? And of course, then this forms the basis of your planning and your future listening. We need to raise the listening theater curtain once again, because it's important to make sure that our leaders and our managers are closing the loop on what has changed as a Mm. result of the feedback. Even if not much has changed, we still need to acknowledge that people gave us feedback and that the organization heard it and did something with it. So let's take a second to shamelessly promote some material from the Academy of Business Communications. Hey everyone, our book on for fearless communicators dealing with crises such as COVID is uh, available at Amazon. Having said that, let's wrap up taking a look at what's caught our eye in the past few days. Elizabeth, what are you reading or binging on, thinking about? I'm actually rereading a book I I read maybe five years ago that I found very helpful, and it's called Essentialism, and it's by Greg McEwen. And it is a particularly wonderful book for people like me who have a terrible time focusing, who take on a million projects and never get anything done, and then get overwhelmed and stop. And so Essentialism basically proposes that let's do fewer things every day and move them further along 
than doing many things and getting nowhere. And it's a, a wonderful read. It's an easy read. We'll put a link in the show notes. I recommend Greg has some great TED Talks and videos. And I think there's even a community where you can go get helpful tips on staying focused on things. And then I would say the other thing I'm reading is that IPR Leger poll about communications effectiveness during COVID for any corporate communications professional. I think that is essential reading for the summer of 2020. So we will link to that as well. What are you watching or reading? Well, well first I want to say I, I hadn't heard about essentialism. I'm going to dig into that right away. As far as what I'm reading and watching, I've recently found myself binging on Succession, which is a show about a business that's crumbling because they don't really have a strong succession plan. And you get to see some of the dynamics of very flawed individuals dealing with the organization inside and out. So really fascinating and entertaining. I am rereading Alfie Cohn's The Case Against Competition, or subtitled, Why We Lose on Our Race to Win. And he is a psychologist and a behavioral psychologist. And he talks about why when we are actually working against one another, we're undermining what we're setting out to do. So really fascinating, fast read, insightful, grounded in a lot of research and eye-opening. Wow. Okay. So we'll make sure that there's links in the show notes to all of our reading and watching I think that's it for us. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining. If you like this podcast, do us a favor and leave a rating or better still, subscribe. And of course, check out the show notes and our resources at academyofbusinesscommunications.com. Quick shout out, thanks to Peter Lindsman, our intrepid audio editor, and to Simon Gladstone, who helps us with our website. See you all next time. Bye.